And welcome to another episode of Who Gives a Hoot. I'm Luke. That's uh, Rich, who usually you don't see his face because he's too busy writing. Yep. Uh, and, and we're joined by a very special guest, uh, first time caller, uh, Dom Casciato. Did I How you got say it? last name correct? You got it, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, we're we're gonna jump in with uh, with the first question, and Rich and I are both very curious about this. Um, given you you speak three languages, uh, you're you're from England, lived in the states a while. Based on last name and one of those languages being Italian, there's some Italian heritage in there. Uh, who's the cook in the house, and why is food <laughs> not English? So, first off, about three languages. One thing, speaking three languages, but someone has to understand you, and I don't think anybody understands me in any of those three languages. <laughs> I like to think I'm the cook in the house, but my wife is is pretty handy as well. So, I think we probably have to share the crown on that one, Luke. Okay, okay. Uh, are are you you going with the Italian cooking more, or are you you going with some boiled meat like? Uh... Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a mix, a bit of a mix. You know, I think I make a pretty pretty mean lasagna. Um, I think that's probably my specialty. My wife would say that as well. But then I'm always prone to, you know, beans on toast or bangers and mash. So, yeah. all, right, all right. All right. So basically, you've just volunteered to make lasagna for a tailgate. We, we appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> happily, happily. Whatever you want, let me know. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, Rich has done his research as he usually does, so I'm going to let him uh, jump into the questions that he's got cooked up. Okay. Well, just for a general question, you've had quite the coaching uh, career so far. I think it's, what, 12, 13 years now? Yeah, 13 years, yeah. Yeah, and you've had a lot of success wherever you've gone, whether it's developing players, raising money for certain programs, uh, even on-the-field success. So what would you say is your proudest achievement as a coach so far? It's a great question. Um, I think there's a couple of things that stand out to me and they're not really about on-field success. I guess, I guess two kind of things where I think I've had the most impacts. Firstly, I was a director of coaching at Brooklyn Italians or technical director, you would call it, which is a really famous amateur club in New York that has a really robust youth program. And while I was there, it was a, a very heavily immigrant-based club, a lot of first-generation kids. And we kind of paved the way for a lot of those kids to get into college and, you know, get scholarships for soccer or for academics. And I think we really changed the culture at the club and, and kind of brought it into the 21st century, which I'm really proud of. I was super young when I kind of took that role and, you know, first few days felt like I was really in over my head, but then connected with the people the key stakeholders, connected with the coaches, connected with the, the people within the community and was really able to, to do some great things there. I think the the other piece is, is kind of linked to that. So the last two years, as you know, um, I've been in El Paso as an assistant coach. And my first year under Mark Lowry, uh, I also coached our under-19 team. So I was an assistant coach of the first team and coached the under-19s as the head coach. And in El Paso, again, it's, it's very much a you know, first generation kids coming over to the States, you know, to Mexican parents, things like that. And 
most of those kids are not exposed to what it means to go and get an education. Um, so part of my work there in El Paso was one coaching the under 19 team. And then after a year, when I started just to purely focus on the first team, I was also heavily involved in setting up a, a full-time program for those guys to train every day. Um, also attend school together and then get college scholarships. And, and again, I'm really proud that I just had an impact on, on those young men's lives. And seven of those kids went on to get scholarships at, at different universities across the U.S., which just wasn't happening before for kids in that community in El Paso. So I think, you know, the, the football side of stuff is great. And obviously that's that's my passion. I love that. But I think also helping people and especially young people, right, who maybe just need a bit of guidance or don't have that guidance at home. I think that's probably been the most impactful work that I've done. Cool. And you mentioned that you had some partnerships with the community, both in Brooklyn and in El Paso. How do you plan on bringing that same ideology to Omaha? Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. I think one of the things my wife and I are you know, most excited about being here in, in Nebraska is getting to know people like yourselves, right? key stakeholders within the community, people that are in the fan base, are coming to games every week and, you know, every community has, has great people. So we're just looking forward to getting to know them and, you know, potentially seeing ways that, that we could help out in some capacity. Uh, Flattery is not going to help. Um, you know, it, we're, we're, we're not going to cut you slack just because you're, you're saying nice things about us. Uh, I, I do, do want to um, pull a little bit off what, you've been talking about getting that education opportunity um, for for kids and community. And at, as you, obviously there are not a whole lot of head coaching uh, pro gigs out there in the U.S. Did the Omaha's partnership with Bellevue and providing that opportunity for young players to continue their, their educational careers uh, play any part in you you picking Omaha as a as a candidate for for your next step in coaching? Yeah, I think it was it was a factor, right? I'm not going to say it was a huge factor, but I think it's something that makes the club more attractive to players. So, if you've got an opportunity there to help somebody get a scholarship to either get a bachelor's or a master's degree uh, for for little cost or even for free then I think that just makes you a more attractive proposition as a club, right, to be able to, to bring players in. So I think any of those little things help. Obviously, in, in USL League One, you know, the budgets are, are not huge, right? So you've got to look for every single advantage you can to be able to attract players into your program. And I think that was something that, that definitely appealed to me and was definitely a, a plus. But I wouldn't say it was, you know, the, the driving force behind it. So follow up there, what was the driving force? Why, why Omaha? Yeah, so I've obviously just heard great things about the club and, you know, I moved into town this past weekend and, and I think all those things that I'd heard about the club and the people have kind of been confirmed so far. So I think I made the right choice. I think if you look at the success the club has had in the last three years, you know, being runners-up, winning the league and, you know, maybe not quite as strong in the league last year, but then, you know, having a really strong Open Cup run. To me, that made it... A, made me realise that, look, this is a club that, that knows what they're doing. There's been some great work done there by the technical staff that's been in place, right, with Jay and Bobby and these guys. Um, so I felt like there was a real great foundation here that I could come in and, and build from. Um, so, yeah, for me, it's a, it's a big challenge, right, to follow in those footsteps, but one that I'm looking forward to and, and one that I'm up for. 
You've mentioned building off of that quality foundation set by Mims and his technical staff in the past. And I just think it's a, a classy gesture. So thank you for, for saying those nice things about the club and, and recognizing the, the hard work that they, they did uh, before you were, you know, before you joined the club. So thank you for that. It's, it's true, right? It's true. They've done an incredible job. So, you know, it's big shoes to fill for sure, but I think I'm, I'm up to the challenge. Good. Glad to hear it. <laughs> and so speaking of uh, education and giving people chances, there's a lot of good programs in the Omaha area. Uh, obviously, there's UNO, there's Creighton, there's Iowa Western across the river. Uh, even Kevin Nuss, uh, when he was coaching at Indian Hills out there in Ottumwa, um, there's quality programs in this area. Have you spoken with any of those programs to try to develop, you know, try to build any bridges with those coaches? Yeah, it's, it's a great question, Rich. And something I did, you know, shortly after being appointed, I, I knew Johnny Torres a little bit just from, you know, crossing paths with him in, in coaching circles. So I reached out to Johnny. We've been speaking about players, um, you know, some other things that we potentially could be doing together. Uh, spoke to Donovan at, at UNO. I know he's kind of super new there to that program as well, but looking forward to supporting those guys. Um, also, Bellevue, spoken with Mark Heath. I was on the, on the phone with Mark earlier today and um, IWCC as well with Mike. We've all been in contact and I'm, I'm looking forward to fostering those relationships. But then, you know, also realising that that helps build this soccer community that exists here in Omaha, right? It's, it's already very, very, very strong. And... You know, in USL League One, a lot of time you're giving college players that are graduating their first professional contract. And, you know, I've got four or five local schools here that do a really good job with really good coaches. So I think that makes my job a little bit easier because they're feeding players into our system. So uh, along, along that line, you obviously have drawn very good coaches uh, to help you out um, with Mike Nuss and... I, I'm absolutely horrible with names, uh, but how how are their connections as well as yours uh, helping build your future plans for the roster? Um, giving you, I, I'm assuming we we've got a a good idea of what the the final roster is looking like as we're nearing the the beginning of camp. Um, are you? you pulling a lot off of their experience in addition to your own in, in scouting um, or are you relying heavily on the, the blocks that were already in place? No. So I, th I think there was a real strong group of returning players, right? They already signed on before I'd signed on. So that definitely gave us a good base to build on. Now, you know, we've signed guys like Connor and, you know, one or two other important pieces that, that are going to help us. I think if you look at my background, you know, the last three years, I've been in purely in the professional game in, in the USL Championship with El Paso and then before that with New York Cosmos. Um, and then you look at Ledoule, uh, I'll give you his name there, Luke. All right. Thank you. <laughs> so Ledoule uh, is coming from the West Coast, worked for a top college program out there, knows California, knows the West Coast programs, knows where the best players are. And then if you look at Kevin, that, that's really been, you know, his strength, um, I would say, over the last 10 years. He's been involved in uh, a club called Ocean City Northeasters, which is um, one of the top USL2 clubs. And Kevin's always done a fantastic job on attracting players there, recruiting players, and then bringing the best out of them. 
on the East Coast. So I think I've got a real nice balance, you know, especially where I've been out at a college game for quite a while. You've got two guys there that really have their finger on the pulse of the college game. I think I've got, you know, my finger on the pulse in the pro game in, in USL 1 and USL Championship and MLS Next Pro as well. And I think the three of us kind of complement each other really well in that in that aspect. And you said that you and Ledule were in uh, the same classes for your licensure uh, in the past. And when you submitted your quote for the, the team press release, you said that uh, his expertise and the physiological side of the game will be a huge asset over the course of the season. Now, combining that knowledge with your bachelor's and master's degree, both in exercise science and then sports management, uh, what kind of message can we glean from uh, from that combination of uh, of skill sets? Yeah, so I, I think similar, right, in terms of kind of my formal studies and, and I think Ladoule's area of expertise. So Ladoule is, is kind of taking it on a level from where I was at with it. So he's um, really gone into periodization. I don't know if you guys are familiar with, you know, periodization in football and things like that, but... He, uh, you know, has taken a, a lot of time and a lot of effort to, to study that stuff to a very high level with some of the, the leading practitioners in the world. So I think in terms of, you know, physical loading, making sure we're doing the right amount of training every day, making sure that we're trying to avoid injuries, um, you know, that's going to be Ladoule's area of expertise where I'm mostly going to be focused on the tactical side of things, decision making, um, how we're going to play, game plans, that sort of stuff. So pulling off of uh, one, of, one of your previous interviews, I, I think the question was asked, <clears throat> since you do speak so many languages, uh, what language are you going to talk to the refs in? And you, your, your offhand was uh, whichever one they don't speak in, which <laughs> that was a perfect response. <laughs> but with, with our two um, brand new signings uh, to the club, uh, both speaking Italian. Did you pull them in so you can cuss them out during practice? No, no, that's that's certainly not my style. Um, <laughs> no, no, I don't think my Italian is good enough to be cussing people out in Italian either. So. <laughs> no, uh, but defense has always been a very important part of um, Union Omaha's success, um, and our downfalls have come from typically injuries or other issues uh, involving our back line is where we start our slides in low points of our season. If I, if I researched correctly, you yourself were a defender uh, yes. when you did play, which great, great part of the field, you know, probably the best. Uh, what, what would you, depending on your style, uh, again, don't, we haven't seen you, uh, you pull together a squad for us yet. Um, you know, you may switch it up entirely, but it, is that something that you really uh, try and try and pull for? And are you going to have more depth at defense than we've traditionally had in the past? Well, I think every position on the field is super important. I think getting every position right and every player selection right is, is really going to determine how successful you are right over the course of a season. So in an ideal world, we'd love to have 22 guys that could all step in and start at any moment in time. I think the reality is, you know, with the budget being what the budget is and USL one financials being what they are, 
that's always going to be a challenge, right? And you're going to have to go out and find top young players that can come in and, you know, challenge the starting guys. So I guess the short answer or the longer answer, I should say, is we're trying to get the best players we can in the building. And if we do that, I'm hopeful we'll be covered in, in every position. Uh, if you do need a GoFundMe to you know sign a specific player you really need, just and let I'll us know. We'll, we'll set it up. <laughs> <laughs> I might take you up on that. Your phone might be blowing up. Hey, we're, that's what we're here for. <laughs> Uh, and so, Dom, have you been to Warner Park yet? Yeah, yeah, I've been in the last yeah. few. Days been in. Um, we we got in late Saturday night, and then uh, yeah, came over to the stadium. I think on Monday, and, and yeah, was there yesterday as well. So I've been in the last few days. Okay, so you've seen the dimensions. You've seen that it's it's tight quarters for two teams playing a competitive match. Um. I'm tying this into an article that you wrote for usyouthsoccer.org about the benefits of indoor training and wow. even incorporating futsal. Now, you said that in this article, there's inherent benefits that can be uh, taken from that kind of training, whether it's operating in tight spaces, um, enhancing individual creativity. So with tight quarters of Warner Park, obviously you're going to incorporate that into your training. Um what other sort of challenges do you think are coming your way by playing in Warner Park? Yeah, I don't, I don't so much look at the challenges, Rich. I just think it is what it is, right? And if it's a tight pitch, I think that probably need, means that we need, you know, more technical players. Um, maybe there's not going to be as much space as there would be on a on a bigger pitch. So we're going to need players that are better in in tight spaces so that will influence our recruitment in terms of who we're trying to bring in, right? Making sure we've got guys that can handle the ball that, that are going to be able to control it and, and operate in those tight spaces like you spoke about. I, I'm very impressed, Rich. That article must be nearly 10 years old or something. Where, where did you find that? <laughs> Just doing some research. You <laughs> don't have a, have a huge <laughs> digital footprint, which is kind of a mixed, uh, mixed blessing. Uh, I, I think your LinkedIn was the first thing that pulled up with, with the search. Okay. So I, I don't have any social media. The only thing I have is, is LinkedIn. So, um, okay. Good to know that people are scoping me out on there. Hey, hey. I mean, if you, if you see a bunch of blowups from a bunch of different companies that are all Omaha based, you know why. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you're, you're coming into, as you mentioned, you, you know it's an established program with an established track record of seeking excellence, whether it's, um, I mean, our preseason games, uh, I don't think we've lost a preseason game to an MLS team. Um, we've only lost to one MLS team in the, the history of the club uh, in Open Cup. Uh, no pressure. Made play yeah. yeah, I mean. Thanks for reminding, Luke. Made yeah. playoffs. <laughs> hey, we're, just, we're just trying to set reasonable expectations for you. Uh, but th there is a very strong base that build on. Um, and as a first, first year here, new to the program, relatively short lead time going into the season to, to build the squad you need uh, coming in with set players from, from last, last year and previous years. What, reasonable goals do you have uh to that you're hoping to achieve during your first 
season. It was. Yeah, I'm I'm losing you a little bit, Luke. It, it was going out a bit. Are you still there? Sorry. Sorry. Uh, I was saying, what what reasonable goals do you have um, for your first season with Union Omaha? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I think first and foremost, the team has been competitive every single season, right? So we want to continue to be competitive in every single game. And then I think this year is really about making sure, especially at the beginning of the season, that our style is understood by everybody. And I always think for me as a coach, it, it's about two things, right? It's about making sure that our messages and, and what we want to see is super, super clear for the players. But then also making sure that the players are comfortable, you know, with that messaging with what we're asking them to do, because it, it may be super clear, but then they're not comfortable doing it and it's not going to work. Um, so just making sure that the players are clear and that they're comfortable with what we're asking them to do. And I think that will give us a, a great platform to, to go on and, and build for the future. And I think that ties back into the article that you wrote for usyouthsoccer.org. Because you said in that uh, article, uh, you explained that delayed gratification um, is something we must willingly endure as youth coaches. Well, now you're a pro coach. Yeah. There's still going to be that delayed gratification because you're installing a new system. How do you balance that mentality with the win right now professional mentality? Yeah, and I, I think, look, that article that I wrote, which was, you know, many years ago, and that was when I was yeah. a youth coach, right? So so don't, uh, don't think it's, it's just going to be a development club now. I've been in yeah. a you know, winning environments for the last three years now at first team level and understand that, you know, people are going to judge you on whether you win or lose on the weekend. I think the older players or, or the, you know, the more experienced the players are that you work with and, and the better they are, um, the quicker they're going to pick things up, right? And the quicker they're going to pick ideas up. And I think part of the reason why I was so attracted to this job is there were a, a real strong nucleus of returning players and a nice mix, right? So you had some young players that had maybe just come out of college and, you know, just finished their first seasons. And then you had a bunch of guys that have been there and done it and, and got the T-shirt, right? And guys that, that are experienced pros that have, you know, know what it takes to, to win at this level. So I think that was something that appealed to me and something that I think I can tap into straight away here. So have you had a chance to talk to any of the... Um... The returning players uh, so far, uh, um, you know, we we've got some that a couple that have been here since the the very beginning of the club. Um, you know, you've got relative newcomers to the club, but seasoned veterans like uh, Luis, um, e Connor Doyle, who who was announced earlier today, uh, recording this Thursday. I think it's Thursday. My my days of the week are off, uh, but. When when you're talking to those guys, what what are you what are you hearing from them about, uh, you know, either the club or you know, it, the feel going into this season? Yeah, so I, I've spoken to everybody. Um, I think my first week on the job, I, I called every single player that was signed. Um, Connor was another one of the guys that I, I called as well. Um, so I spoke to everybody, you know, and, and just had a conversation, just trying to get to understand them as, as human beings, first and foremost, because behind every soccer player, right, it's, it's a human being. Um, so just trying to build a relationship with the guys, understand what makes them tick, 
Um, and then getting their perspective as well, right? Like, you know, there would have been things that they loved about the last regime and there would have been things that maybe they want to see change a little bit with me coming in. So just asking them honest questions, getting honest answers, just trying to be as transparent as possible about how we're going to work. Um, but then getting their input as well, because they're the ones that have to play the game. So I think it's really important that you listen to the players, you know, you understand what each individual likes, but then you get a feeling for the group as well through having those conversations with, with each and every one of them. So, you know, I think I've spoken to all of them uh, at least twice now and um, planning on, on meeting a bunch of them, if not all of them, next week uh, before we start pre-season on February 6th. You seem to truly enjoy the, the facets of the game behind the scenes, like recruiting and developing players. When you were at El Paso and you had the, the recruiting database and you had the, the squad modeling and all that kind of stuff that you developed, is that intellectual property of El Paso or were you able to bring some of that with you to Omaha? Yeah, so we'll, we'll set up our own one here in, in Omaha. Um, obviously, there's a lot of players on that on that type of database and, and things like that. So El Paso are not going to go out and sign all of them. Um, that stuff I've, I've done independently prior to joining El Paso as well. Um, so, you know, me, Ladule, Kevin, we'll, we'll have, you know, access to our own version of that. Um, I guess when I was with El Paso, it was, it was heavily focused on playing in the USL Championship, and now we'll alter that to be more focused on USL 1 players and players coming out of college as well. So um, that's something we're in the process of building out. Uh, there's a ton of names in it already. We're obviously heavily involved in the recruiting process right now. Um, and I think as the season goes on and, you know, once we have more time to understand the league, to understand who else might be out there, uh, then that'll, that'll fill out and, and make recruitment way easier uh, going into year two. So with, with that level, uh, obviously there's no pro rel in the States. Um, something some people are very bitter about. Some people are, you know, good for us, whatever. Uh, we, we've pulled, I believe it was the year before you arrived, because um, you, you arrived in 2020 or was it 21 to El Paso? Yeah, the beginning of 2021. Okay, so it would have been two years prior. Was our only previous connection to El Paso was uh, Sebas Contreras, okay. um, who wore the armband for us in uh, the 2020 season. Um, you know, great player uh, coming with a lot of experience there. But uh, with, with that level of the back and forth between the two, um, now we... We saw earlier today, uh, former Union Omaha player Devin Boyce announced for for Greenville. Uh, is it that much that difficult to draw a championship player here um, off of that that database uh, to a, a club with a, a winning history where you know their level might have been quasi starter at, at a championship or versus uh, you know maybe not a guaranteed starter because nobody's a guaranteed starter until they are. Uh, is it difficult? Are you seeing any, or I guess, are you seeing any difficulty bringing um, players of a already professional or championship caliber that aren't getting that playing time there to Omaha? That's a, that's a really good question. I think, you know, if, if you put yourself in the shoes of a championship player, 
because it's you know a higher league. You, you're thinking, right? I'm a championship player. I want to stay in the championship and, and prove myself in the championship, whether or not I, I played a ton last year or not. Um, but then I think you get to a certain stage in the off season where maybe the championship offers are not coming or they're not the offers you thought they were going to be, and then you start to look at League One, right? And I think there's no better place than Union Omaha if you look at the club's track record of success on the pitch but then also moving players on to some of the top clubs in the championship and, and now obviously into the MLS with Ryan Jeeva. Um, I think if, if I'm a championship player and I'm saying, OK, I don't have a, a championship offer that I'm happy with right now, for me, the place to be in, in League One will be Union Omaha, just because they've you know propelled so many guys onto bigger and better things over the last three years. So... Off of that, got to ask, you've been in Omaha now a week, maybe a week, five days? Yeah, five days, yeah. Uh, what do you think? It seems like a really nice city. The obvious difference to El Paso is I've kind of gone from one extreme to the other, right? Like El Paso is just blisteringly hot all the time, and Omaha is absolutely freezing right now. So yeah. that's the biggest adjustment. Um, but it's, it's been good. Like we, we went out to eat last night. Uh, in the old market, my wife and I, so we got to see that area. We live in Benson. Uh, we just got a place here. So you know, I'm surrounded by boxes right now, which you guys can't see, thankfully, on the screen. But uh, no, it's like a, a really nice city. And before I came here, people were telling me great things about it. So just looking forward to exploring a bit more and, and getting to know the people who, you know, so far have been, have been great, been super friendly with us. Is there anything that you and your wife are most excited about experiencing here in Omaha? Well, I think if you've been listening to all the interviews I've been doing, you'd hear that I'm a Tottenham fan. I think there's a Spurs bar around the corner here um, in Benson. There is, yeah. Yeah, we're looking forward to checking that out. And no, I think I think just kind of seeing the atmosphere that the fans can bring on, on March 26th when we play forward Madison at UNO, I think that's going to be you know a, a great moment for us and, and just getting to know the people in the community. Yeah, you, you outed yourself as a Tottenham fan. Uh, <laughs> I was saying. Like, Guys, they were saying like, you know, what team? And I'm like, guys, should I really be saying this? Like, there's going to be some Arsenal fans, you know, to follow the follow the union here. They're like, nah, it's fine, it's fine. So maybe I shouldn't have done that, but uh, but yeah, my sins. I'm a Spurs fan. Uh, I mean, Rich, Rich there's Aston Villa. Okay. Um, you've got at least one one compatriot in the in the front office with with Jack. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it. In Benson, you've got they got the Spurs sticker in the window, but uh, I I I don't I don't think there's a huge huge Spurs, and maybe I'll get chewed out on on the internet for this uh, huge Spurs community for it. They'll put the game on for you, but uh, I'm going to be the only one in there. Yeah, is that what you're telling they me? They were just waiting you, for Dom to yeah. arrive. Now they're going to be popping up out of everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I mean, with Benson, you you've got some great uh, great bars there. Um, Liverpool being the the largest supporters group in that area um, somehow, uh, but there's yeah the the soccer community on a Saturday morning in Benson is definitely definitely an environment that's worth worth getting out for. Um, Sorry, I'm a little distracted because I my my team is losing to somebody they should not be uh, right now. Who, who's it just hurts? Ix. Oh, okay. They, 
they're having a rubbish season. Just trash. Well, Dom, outside of uh, the, the soccer universe, what are some of your big passions, hobbies, all that kind of stuff to escape away from soccer? Yeah, it can be all-consuming, as you guys probably know. So it can be tough to find time away from the game. I think my wife and I are pretty big travelers. We like to visit different countries, different cities, and, and get out and explore as much as we can. Uh, she's actually from the Dominican Republic originally. And we were back there for a couple of weeks right before the holiday. So, so that was good uh, traveling. And then, you know, one thing that um, maybe is going to make me sound a lot older than I am. Uh, but during COVID, I really got into gardening and, and sort of making my own vegetables, growing my own vegetables and, and things like that. Um, so, so, yeah, I guess gardening is one of them. I, I love raising vegetables and tomatoes, cucumbers, uh, even made watermelons, actually. Um, grew watermelons a couple of years back. So it's too hot for that in El Paso. It was just killing everything I, I kind of grew. So looking forward here and I'm having a, a bit more pleasant weather over the summer that won't kill my vegetables off. Yeah, you should have pretty good success growing some of that stuff here. Yeah, I'm hoping so. I'm hoping so. Uh, I mean, it, it is a farming state, so theoretically everything should be good. Summers, they're maybe not El Paso hot, but it, uh, you you haven't hit either of our extremes. Uh, you, you'll get there, but it, it's you, you, buckle up. Uh, with with uh, moving, you spent time in New York, um, a fair bit of time in New York, um, with El Paso, uh, London as well, um, and now Omaha. What What is one thing you have not seen in Omaha compared to other places you'd live that you'd like to see here. And if it's a soccer specific stadium for the pro team, uh, we would accept that answer. I feel I'm going to go with that. I haven't seen much of Omaha yet. So <laughs> the, uh, the soccer specific stadium. <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, that's the, I think the only leading question I'm going to ask here. Uh, <laughs> Well, being that you uh, are new to Nebraska, I feel like we should introduce you to some laws that still exist, okay. but just a little antiquated in Nebraska. So I, I dug up three for you, just so you can get yourself started on, on the right path here. Do I need to write these down, Rich, or what? Are they, are they going to be important? Yeah, to we, I, I think it would be very important to write these down, yeah. Oh, all right. So number one. If a child burps during church, their parents may be arrested. <laughs> Is that Just serious? throwing that out there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Number two, in the state of Nebraska, it is illegal to go whale fishing. Side note, we don't have any whales in Nebraska, so yeah. do with that what you will. And, and then what happens if the parent burps in church? Like, does the parent get arrested or do the kids get arrested or the priest? The kids like, get arrested. The kids yeah. get arrested. All right, that's only fair, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> it works both ways. So if you're ever in a really bad mood and you're, you know, angry with your kid, just burp. <laughs> get them out of there. And lastly, 
a man is not allowed to run around with a shaved chest. What? Like, is anyone forcing that? I don't know. I, I let my chest hair grow, so I'm not worried about it. Yeah, same. It's not one I'm worried about. I'm just thinking, like, you know, do they have a, a chest hair police on every corner or something in the summer? Or based on my drive to work. With those terrible laws, I'm just glad I don't live in Nebraska. So we're we're safe. Uh, <laughs> uh, we we are beyond excited to have you here. Um, your your track record uh, at all levels has been great. Uh, I do have to ask because you you spent time with America's arguably most storied club uh the cosmos during uh not quite hiatus years uh apparently uh what was your time like at the cosmos so it was 2020 right so it was covid uh and my wife and i just come back from spain We'd, we'd spent a couple of years living in spain and I guess for me, it was it was really like a beautiful chapter of my life that ended way too short. So when I was a young coach working at Brooklyn Italians and Jersey Express, I would go and watch the Cosmos when they first kind of came back. And they had guys like Raul and Marcos Senna. Uh, Carlos Mendes was the captain. Um, so I would go and watch them and take notes on training, speak to Gio, speak to Carlos Jumosa, and, and just kind of understand what they were doing, why they were doing it. So then for me, you know, I guess six, seven years later to go back as Carlos Mendes's assistant as his right hand man, it was really just a you know fantastic for me. I'd, I'd kind of come full circle with the club, and I, to be honest, I kind of thought that was going to be me for for years, right? I thought I was going to be with the club, I was going to work alongside Carlos, who who I love, just a fantastic guy. Um, I'll always be super grateful to Carlos for the opportunity he gave me to to go and work with him, and uh, loved working with him every day. You know, great players, great setup. But it was COVID and, um, you know, our, our whole project was about, you know, finding top young American players, developing them and then, you know, selling them into Europe. Um, Rocco, the owner, you know, was owning Fiorentina at the time, still owns Fiorentina. Um, and I think just with COVID and, and all the financial implications that came with it, it, it became impractical to, to keep the club running at the same level. And I think one thing about the Cosmos is when, when they've done things as a club, they've always tried to do it at a good level. And I guess they, they decided that financially, because of the hit they took with COVID, it just wasn't feasible anymore. So I was really disappointed and, and kind of really deflated when uh, when the club sort of went out of business and, and our contracts ended. Um, but yeah, I, I look back on it with a lot of fondness. And, you know, Carlos and I are great friends. I, I love speaking to Carlos, just a great person. And uh, yeah, real fond memories of my time at the club. I think you said in the past that you caught the coaching bug when you were still at Limestone University as a player. Um, and then you've had great experiences with other coaches, like you just said, over at Cosmos. I think you were under some great coaching staff over at St. John's. What? Who is your biggest influence for for coaching style and approach and all that? That's a great question. Um so I've got a, I've got quite a few. So I don't know if I could say one is the biggest. I think in terms of kind of methodology, you know, how to 
how to bring to life in training what you're going to see on a Saturday, right, in a game. I think Mark Lowry, who's now at Indy, who's the head coach at Indy, Mark is, is an incredible coach. And I think he's really got super skills in terms of being able to dissect what's going to happen on a Saturday and, and kind of drip feed that through exercises throughout the week in training. So Mark is a, is a huge influence on me, um, has been since literally the first day I worked with him. I was, I was super impressed. Um, I guess my best friend back in England, uh, when we were both kind of still chasing the dream to be a player, he walked away, at, I think around 17 or 18, and decided he was going to be a coach. Uh, his name's Adam Lawrence, and he's now working for Manchester United. Uh, I think he's their under 16 or 17 coach. Should probably know that, right? Um, but anyway, he's working there now. And I think, you know, seeing his pathway and, and how he was able to progress as a coach really made me think, oh, wow, like, you know, if Adam can do it, maybe I can do it. Uh, so he was a big influence on me. And then, you know, I guess the other guy, Dave Mazo, who you mentioned at St. John's University, has, has just been, you know, so successful over so many years there. Um, somebody that gave me my first starting coaching, I think really exposed me early on to what it meant to work with good players. You know, we had some top players playing at St. John's, guys like Connolly, Tim Parker, uh, Rafi Diaz, you know, guys that all went on to play in the MLS or top levels of USL. So I was able to work with those players at a young age and I was able to see how Coach Mazer managed those players and, and how he prepared a team for a game. And I think his attention to detail and his, his willingness to, I guess, leave no stone left unturned was was huge uh, and left a real lasting impact on me. And in 2016, you were honored as one of the top 30 coaches in the country under the age of 30. Talk a little bit about how it felt to receive that award. I've got to be honest, Rich, I'd feel a lot better if I could receive that award now and still be under 30 now. Uh, <laughs> over now. You know, maybe I can get in 40 under 40 or something now. Um, <laughs> No, look, look, it's always it's always nice to be recognised. I think, you know, going through that process, being in that programme, which is it's basically a development programme for young coaches, right, that, that have shown some potential or promise in, in some category. And it's not all guys or girls that want to be in the programme, right? It might be people that are really good working in the community or, you know, working with special groups. So I think it was a, a great programme, I think, you know, for me to be recognised is always nice, but I'm not somebody that likes to pat myself on the back or, you know, you know, really be um, looking for the spotlight. That's not really me. That's not really my personality or, or how I live my life. Um, I was able to connect with a really good mentor, uh, Glenn Crooks, who actually has his own radio show. Now, Glenn, he was a, a coach at Rutgers and LIU Brooklyn for a long time, had a, a ton of success. Um, coach Carly Lloyd at Rutgers, I believe. Um, so working with Glenn and, and having a mentor in that capacity was, I guess, really, really helpful for me. Um, but then while I was in that program, I think the biggest takeaway I had was that I needed to take responsibility for my own development. Um, and I was talking with this uh, or about this to Glenn earlier. And I had a, a Spanish assistant at Brooklyn Italians who I thought was just fantastic in terms of, you know, session design and how he thought about a game, how he structured things. And, and he and I worked really well together. And, uh, you know, when I got into this program, I thought, well, you know, if I'm serious about being a, a top coach, maybe I should go and see another style of coaching. And I, I went to Spain really because of what I'd seen from Jorge 
uh, who was my assistant at Brooklyn Italians. I was like, this guy's amazing, but he's not working for Barca or Real Madrid, right? He's had to come and work in Brooklyn. So let me go and see what these guys in, in Spain are like and, and how good they are, because they must be incredible. Um, so that, that kind of led me to taking that decision while I was in that program. I, I finished the program out and then went over and lived in Spain for a couple of years. So when in Spain um, you were uh, working in the academy system, were you doing primarily scouting or or coaching or a, a mix of both? Because obviously with these larger clubs, there there's a much more developed um, scouting network, uh, a better feeder feeder system. It is there was there de- um, more. I guess more of an emphasis for you in uh, taking existing players and developing them or bringing in new players and, and getting them into the system. Yeah. So my, my job was primarily working in the pre-academy at Espanol. Um, so those younger players are feeding up into the academy system. Um, I think because I primarily went there, I didn't have a job lined up with Espanol when I, when I landed in Spain. Um, I, I kind of, met some people they got me into a, a partner school program with the club then from there i started working in the pre-academy and, and coaching one of their teams i think they're in spain it has a different name i think it's the under 10s um that i started coaching in their in their pre-academy so because i was always there watching other training sessions from other coaches watching the first team watching the reserves um they would just kind of throw things at me like oh you know can you go and watch a player for us or can you do this can you do that uh, you know, we have a group coming over, which is train them. So I, I would do a little bit of everything. Uh, but my primary duties were, you know, training within the pre-academy program. So that that must have set you up pretty well uh, for, for all the different roles you, you've been set since. In kind of an ad hoc, ad hoc coach, if you will. Uh, it, uh, being this your first head coaching gig at a professional level. Uh, are are you planning to, you know, kind of assign that sort of deal at, as things, uh, as things happen, as things grow uh, to your assistant coaches, you know, you, you picked guys who have a lot of experience, um, but also seem like they can be just as versatile, you know, as you find new opportunities, are you, you looking to, to utilize them in, what whatever way is possible yeah i think look when you're working you know we're not at an mls club that has a you know incredible you know resource for staffing right where you've got you know five or six assistant coaches and a goalkeeper coach and a set piece coach and a scouting department you know that that's not the case at, at most clubs right around the world you only really get that in in the top levels right where there's there's a ton of money being pumped into those clubs um, so I, I think maybe that's a little bit of a misconception that, you know, everybody's a, a specialist. I think when you're, when you're at this level or even in the USL championship, you've got to wear a lot of hats and you've got to wear them well, because if you can't help out in scouting or you can't help out in analysis, then there's somebody else out there that can, right. And, and can bring some more value. So, you know, for me, I like to think all the different jobs I've had in my career, have helped prepare me to be a head coach because I've always worked for programs that, or or clubs that haven't had expansive staffs, right? Where you've, where you've had to do more than one thing, where you've had to do your own analysis, or you've had to do your own scouting and recruitment. Um, And I think 
you know, for me as a as a coach or as a professional, it's just made me so much more well-rounded than, you know, let's say I went and worked for Manchester United and was always just a coach in there under 14s or under 15s and under 16s because you've got way more support at a club like that. I think you, you end up becoming just a specialist at, at just coaching rather than being able to, you know, help a lot with recruitment, help a lot with analysis, help a lot with, with every different aspect that's involved in the job. And I think, you know, Kevin and Ladoule have that background as well where they've, they've worn a lot of different hats and can add value in a lot of different areas. Um, so for me, I, I think there's, you know, a, a ton of positives to be gained from people like that that have, have done a little bit of everything uh, while primarily being coaches, obviously, like myself. And we've already established that you and uh, Ladule met in those certification classes. How did you and Kevin meet? Um, so when I was working at St. John's University, uh, Kevin was also a university coach or college coach. I can't remember which school he was at, but there were uh, camps ran by um, some kind of bigger college coaches. <clears throat> and what they would do is bring in um, college coaches from all different programs all across the country. So kids would go there uh, to try and be recruited. And, and Kevin was one of the coaches on one of the camps I was working. Uh, and, and we worked a few camps together, became friends and, and just kind of stayed in touch through that. Cool. So, uh, with, with you being here, settled, well, you've got boxes everywhere, settled-ish, uh, camp, camp starting in a little over a week, what do you, uh, what do you want from the fans this year? Uh, you get a, you get a say in what, what you get from the players, uh, you know, you, you can, see them day in, day out. But what do you want from the fans this year? Well, that's a great question. I think if you ask any coach in the world what they want from their fans, it's it's to be supportive, right, and get behind the guys as much as they possibly can uh, to make it as difficult as possible for the opposition as well. And, uh, yeah, just to make sure, you know, they're showing up, they're loyal, they're supportive, and, and they're giving the guys everything they've got because it makes a difference. You know, I've been in stadiums where... There's a you know one man and his dog, and then I've been in stadiums that, that are packed and are really raucous, and there's a great atmosphere, and you know it, it just makes such a difference to the atmosphere of the game and, and the motivation of the players. So, just want the fans to bring some energy and, and support the guys the best they can because the guys are going to give you everything. There's a hardcore right. fan. Uh, his name is Zach, and I know he's going to want to ask this question of you, so I'm going to ask it for him. What are your thoughts on flares? I think as long as they're not hitting any players, they're they're good. Um, I think sure. you're not you're not trying to the opposition goalkeeper or anything like that. Um, but yeah, I think anything that can build an atmosphere, whether it's drums or, or flares, to me, it's 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 all good and all adds to that that atmosphere and, and making Werner Park a, a hostile place to play for opposition teams. You just made an even bigger fan out of Zach. So well done. Ah. <laughs> uh, I, I just have. Follow-up question to your your man and a dog. Uh, was it a good dog? To be honest, I, I don't know. I, I never went and introduced myself to the dog, but oh, uh, <laughs> so he never ran onto the pitch, you know. So he's probably a good dog. Uh, <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, with Werner Park, I, I know we talked a little bit about this at the beginning. Um, 
Werner Park being the, I, I think by inches, the smallest allowable uh, FIFA professional sized pitch. Um, with that, but also the the difficulties that that come with um, the the turf transition uh, for the for the infield is is there some way um, uh, obviously it, uh, detail not necessary but have you looked at how um, how that varies that texture varies because there there are certain times where you know, you've got a, a speed bump in the middle of the pitch, um, guys falling over just by walking, like with nobody around. Um, it, it, it's it's a great environment to watch a game, but I, I can't imagine it's the best to play on. Is there a way that you're you're formulating um, how how best to bring these new guys who aren't going to get a chance to play on that until probably? Uh, what is it? June is our first, or May is our first announced um, game at Werner Park. So I, I know our first tour at Coniglio. That's a a nice, smooth, um, artificial turf pitch, uh, up and down. But getting getting these new guys accustomed to a very different pitch than what they've ever played on. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think. First and foremost, from what I've seen of the of the pitch or the field, it looks like they do a great job with the conversion. Um, the, the pitch always looks in really good condition to me. And I know sometimes these clubs that, that share a stadium with a baseball team, uh, the conversion can be hit or miss. But every game I've watched, um, the conversion's always looked in, in pretty good shape. Now, I know sometimes it looks a little bit different on TV than, than when you actually play on it. Uh, but most of these guys that have been around the USL will be used to playing on pitches that have been converted from a baseball diamond. So I, I don't see too many problems. You know, if anyone is falling over in the conversion, hopefully it's the opposition centre-backs and not our own. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but no, you know, I, I, to me, it looks like a great surface. Um, I think, you know, trying to get on there and train is one way of preparing for it, right? The day before the game or, or potentially two days before the game. You know, getting on there, making sure the players are comfortable with the surface, I think is is super helpful. Um, it's something we we had in El Paso, right? El Paso, very similar in that, you know, we shared with the Chihuahuas, the, the baseball team there. And, um, you know, we never really had any problems with it. So, you know, touch wood, that, that'll be the same here. All right. Uh <laughs> Definitely, definitely a a promising thing. Uh, my only worry I have is guys get too used to that really, really nice pitch uh, over at Coniglia those first two games. Is that that's some good turf? <laughs> uh, um, Rich, I I'm not sure if you you got anything else you want to throw out there. Um, no, I think we've covered. A lot. So, uh, Dom, I really appreciate you joining us and answering the questions. It's 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 really nice to speak with you. No, it's my pleasure, guys. Rich, Luke, it's, it's been uh, been my pleasure to chat with you, and looking forward to meeting you guys and the rest of the fans in person soon. For sure. Uh, thrilled to have you on board. Uh, thrilled to see what you can do with the team. 
it's going to be going to be a good season, a long season. Um, you know, we're, we're starting here in what a month and a month and a half. Uh, and you've got to fit a preseason in there. We've got announced games versus Tulsa and uh, St. Louis too. Um, uh, obviously, you got to flesh out the roster. So you got a very, very busy month and a half ahead of you. Uh, we'll look, look forward to seeing what you do there. One last question. Um, and, and I know this is your, your first time, time listening while you're, while you're actually on it, but who gives a hoot? We do. We, we do. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to do that again? I was a little early. You want to do that again? <laughs>